Hi there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com, bringing you the third part in a mini-series called Peace to Overcome Anxiety with Brother Roger Gardner. We're very excited to have these three lessons together, and uh, they're being introduced at the same time, uh, last episode and this one. So if you're following the podcast live, you know that you're getting them both at once, and later on, uh, you know, you can listen to them as conveniently as you want to. So hope you enjoy it. Let's jump back into the conversation, shall we? In the REST acronym from Philippians 4, R-E-S-T, we have R, responded to Jesus. We have E, expressed to the Lord what we need. And now we're in the S, which is study what we should, learning to be content. And uh, so you begin this section with um, another example, maybe just to help people appreciate what it means to study what we should and learn to be content. Tell us about this professor and, and the $10 example. <laughs> uh, so he, he presents this, this notion to his class, and he says, if I gave you $86,400 and somebody took 10 bucks from you, would you throw away the 86390 that you have left to go chase the 10 mm-hmm. And they were like, well, of course not. And he says, every day you've got 86,400 seconds, mm. and time is more valuable than money. You can make more money, but you don't get time back. Right. And so something comes along that essentially derails your, your train. Yeah. Um, stresses you out. And it may have taken 10 seconds for that to happen. Mm-hmm. He says, are you going to throw away the 86,390 seconds that you have left in the day because of that 10? Right. Um, I think the answer a lot of people give is yes. Yes, I will. <laughs> depends on how irritated I am. Uh, depends on how immature I feel at the right. moment. <laughs> how petty. Um, uh, and, and I think what he's trying to do is teach that we can't, we can't always and oftentimes can't control the outcome. Right. Correct. But we can control our outlook. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Paul is getting across. Now, here's a guy who is where he does not want to be. It's at least it's at least where he thought he shouldn't be. <laughs> and he's in this situation mm-hmm. and he has to decide, am I going to let this prison you know, hold me captive mm-hmm. or am I going to, is my soul still going to be free or yeah. not? I'm choosing to have a different outlook. I like the outlook versus outcome. What we tell our kids all the time, I'm sure you did too, and, and a lot of dads say this, is life is not fair. You know, because they're always talking about, oh, that's not fair, that's not fair. Well, life's not fair. And you're teaching an outlook because there will be outcomes that just don't go your way, but you can still have the outlook uh, that's going to get you through it. Another way that you, you put it in your study is determination versus destination. I really like that. Can you enlighten our audience with that distinction? Yeah. So Scripture is, I think, effectively posing the question, is calm a place or is it a perspective? Mm -hmm. And most of what we see around us 
in advertising <laughs> and you know it's a place right it's or it's a thing it's right. like get this car you'll be happy i can get Take there this you'll be happy if yeah. you could go on vacation here this will solve all your problems right. whatever right and and i think a lot of people then are deceived into thinking if i get to this place where people act right or where i don't have this issue to deal with anymore when that happens then i'll be calm and restful mm-hmm. and you know that has a bad ending because probably not going to get there right i don't mean that for to be defeatist it's just the world it keeps moving mm-hmm. and once that problem goes away there'll be another one to take its place right but secondly uh because of the world that we live in which is infected with sin <laughs> um we're not they're not gonna the, the world's not gonna let us stay in that peaceful place very long yeah if it's up to them and when we rely on things that either happen or don't happen, that's effectively what we've done. We've handed over control mm-hmm. to the world uh, instead of God. Yeah. Now, in Philippians, Paul actually addresses this, right? So we, we've been focusing on verse 4 through 8, but in verse, uh, I think it's, let's say, 10 through 13, mm-hmm. he really goes after the this issue because this is going to be really important for people who have an anxious moment to make sure that they understand that outlook and not outcome is is going to be the the healthiest thing for your brain yeah so i think the backdrop to what you're referring to is uh, in those days when you know we First of all, I think when we think of prison today versus the prison he was in, totally different. Right, right. right. So it's not, you know. I mean, Paul didn't have cable television and did you know I three meals a day and uh, I don't think an so. hour of exercise in the yard. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you were in prison then, the state didn't support you. So if people didn't bring you stuff, you did without. Mm-hmm. And so Paul's in prison. The Philippian church hears about it. They send relief. He's, of course, glad to get it. But he wants them to know that his that uh, that their level of generosity was not the gauge by which he determined his joy. Mm. Uh, he wasn't, you know, pacing anxious about it. And he says in, in verse 10 that you're referring to, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Mm-hmm. I know how to be abased. I know how to, you know, in different translations, he's, I know what it's like to have a whole bunch. I also know what it's like to not have anything. Yeah. So I've run the whole gamut here. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. And there is a uh, clearly a mindset that he is determined to to hitch his wagon to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's again, it's going back to that choice of, you know, do I chose to 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 build off of something that is strong and secure and is going to last forever, or something that's pretty flimsy? Yeah. And you say in in your notes. Paul was not pacing. 
he was praising in his cell. And I like that simple contrast that talks about uh, outlook versus outcome again. Yeah, um, maybe to, to, to sort of put a bow on it. Um, it. It's not that I got to this place where everything was good, so now I can be content. Mm-hmm. We know life doesn't work that way. Right. Um, it's that I learned to be content, which had an effect of changing any place I'm at to be good, mm-hmm. at least potentially. And I, I, I don't mean that to be Pollyanna. Or that we don't have times of, you know, what I think what he is saying is that mindset sets you up. When I say to make a place good, maybe it's make it tolerable. Right. (laughs) To make it still be hopeful that I can still endure, I can stay in the race here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not the goodness of the place that makes me content. It's the fact that the Lord has helped me learn how to be content Mm -hmm. so I can make the place good. Mm -hmm. And that has a, that has an inward and outward effect. The inward effect is I can be restful and peaceful myself. I can, I can actually engage my brain in a way now because I'm free to think Mm -hmm. instead of worry Mm -hmm. that I can actually use God-given ability to solve the problem. It also allows me, as one who is given the responsibility to bring light into darkness. Right. It gives me the ability to reset the thermostat in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For everybody else's sake. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and you're becoming like Jesus whenever you made the observation that when he came in the room, the anxiety of others seemed to diminish, not increase, you could be that person. By, as you said, setting the, the thermometer, or the thermostat, rather, setting the thermostat, you're kind of setting that standard for others around you. Now, let's be clear, too. I mean, there are some times he came in the room and he turned up the heat on people, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But, but he was doing it from a place, again, I think he was doing it, though, from a place of a restful, peaceful soul. Yeah. So, therefore, it w- when he turned up the heat, it wasn't vengeful. Right, right. It wasn't to... It wasn't out of control. It wasn't to put down. Mm-hmm. It was actually to show people the importance of repentance, mm-hmm. <laughs> of, their, of their lack of correctness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or, or maybe to shed light on what their relationship with God is actually like. Yeah. Tell me about Coach K and how Coach K uh, fits into this point about studying what we need to and learning to be content. Yeah, about learning to be uh, grateful. Um, grateful. And, okay. and, and, and I, you know, we made mention of this a little bit earlier. Uh, gratitude is a huge, huge massive (laughs) topic Mm -hmm. and I think it is fundamental to so much of what's going on in the world today especially in America where we have a lot to be grateful for Mm -hmm. and oftentimes we choose not to operate out of gratitude but instead out of self-pity need grumpiness whatever right and that is not bringing the best to the table. 
gratitude almost always brings the best to the table. Yeah. And this 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 idea about what Coach K is talking about, or, or the, the example rather, is um, of course he's a head coach at Duke, long time, you know, most decorated probably coach in history uh, in college basketball. And it's 2016, the March Madness tournament. He gives each player on his team before they enter the tournament a brand new basketball and a marker. And he says, I want you to write on this ball with this marker the names of all of the people who have helped you get to this point. Maybe friends that supported you, teammates that passed the ball to you, coaches you've had in the past, the parents who drove you all those times to practices or to ball games or whatever. Mm -hmm. I want you to write down all those people you can think of. Put them all those names on this on this basketball. And then throughout the tournament, wherever we go to play, I want you to carry that ball with you. Mm. And he says, because I want you to play for others. Yeah. And not yourself. And, um, you know, of course, Cinderella's story. They, <laughs> <laughs> they play really well. And surprise, surprise, Duke <laughs> wins uh, the championship. But his statement at the end of that was he was trying, he says, I was trying to teach them to keep gratitude mm -hmm. at the center of their game. Mm -hmm. And that is like a magical phrase. There is more power in that. And, and you know, when you, when you think about the notion of worship um, or obedience, or repentance. <laughs> All of it is encompassing this idea that I've been given a lot. Yeah. And that should motivate me. Mm -hmm. That should change the way I not only look at things, it should change the way I behave. Yeah. It ought to change the way I talk to people. It ought to change the way I, you know, do my work. It ought to affect the whole thing. And when we lose that sense of gratitude, I think it's also a sign we lose perspective. I don't know how you can walk with Christ if you don't have gratitude. And this is why I, I need to commune every Sunday for various reasons. One is because the Bible tells me to, and so I need to obey what the Bible teaches. But two, man, God knew that I and others need a steady reminder to be grateful for what Jesus has done. If we only did it once a year or once a quarter or whatever, you know, on holidays or something, I'd just hate to think of what we'd lose in regards to the gratitude of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, if you go back to the notion of what we were talking about earlier in the creation, when, when God sets up the day of rest and then, which, you know, later becomes the Sabbath and so on. I mean, there's there's clearly <laughs> there's clearly some wisdom that he is imparting here mm -hmm. to say, OK, I made you. I know how you tick. I know what you're going to be encountering on whatever. And essentially what he's saying, I think, to some degree is the lifespan of a restful soul is about seven days. <laughs> yeah. And. About every seven days, you need to go back to the shop and 
get the wheels aligned, get the, you know, get everything sort of recentered again. Mm-hmm. Because the road's bumpy, and everything gets jarred out of whack. Yeah, and you start focusing on things you shouldn't focus on, or putting your faith and your hope in things that are not real. And I need to bring you back here and go, let's, uh, you know, let's review the PowerPoint again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and remember what I gave you. And so I love the story of when they're coming out of the Jordan and there's the command for each tribe to have a stack of rocks. Yes. Right? Yes. And there's this interesting thing that gets said in there, which is... Because there clearly was some some like conversation about why are we doing this, right? And God clearly says, "Hey, when people pass by this, this story gets retold. This story of deliverance, this story of my protection, this story of how I've stepped in for you, and how I've guided you, and how I have uh, I have a homeland that I'm." preparing you to that I'm bringing you to yeah I'm bringing you to a place of safety and rest with me I'm also bringing you to a relationship with me and so every time somebody goes by this they're going to see this stack of rocks and they're going to go hey wait a minute what's the deal on the rocks yeah why are these here (laughs) and you're going to tell the story again so to your point every week when there is this reenactment of of how Jesus, in effect, summarized his existence here and what he was about to go do, mm-hmm. it's a recentering. It's a it's a reminder, and it's a moment of gratitude. And we get to retell the story. Yeah. And you say in your notes, for those who. Uh, they may be concerned that they're not grateful or that they're not thankful or content. You say contentment can be learned. And so this is something that uh, we talked earlier about muscle memory, doing something and that it's going to come back maybe a little bit easier the next time that folks who maybe don't know how to be grateful or to be content just in a simple action, it can help them grow in that ability, right? Yeah, um, I think we think about it as like some magical. Uh, <laughs> and then I was grateful for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, or or contentment, you know, that it's, uh, it's almost like it, it, um, it's being left-handed or right-handed. It's like either you're born with contentment, or, right. and I, you know, and it's, and I don't, I don't think that's accurate. I, as a matter of fact, Paul talks about, you know, I learned to be content. Mm-hmm. And so if, if the, the apostle who was put in all of these situations and was given responsibility to bring the gospel in these ways that he was charged with, that took a lot of courage, took a lot of effort mm-hmm. and such, um, if, if, if he was able of and required to learn it, he wasn't chosen because he was just a content guy. <laughs> As a matter of fact, right. his history would suggest quite the opposite. Right. 
but he learned to be content. And I think what he is saying is that the biggest teacher in that process was grace. Hmm. You, you end this section with just a, it could be its own entire subject, but you, you, you suggest we should study what we should study. You know, we're going to be studying contentment. But you ask this question, is there an idol in my life that could be threatening that? What do you mean by that question? Oh, it's a little like uh, the discussion we were having, I think, about when we're asking God for something, um, that there's this digging that happens that gets to the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, maybe it's being honest about where where have I really put my affections? Where have I put my trust? Right. Is it is it resting on something that's pretty unstable? And what and what's the reality of of the situation? Um, and one of the things that I think we can do is, is in, a, in a very clear-eyed way, examine our lives and recount the blessings that are there. Yeah. Because that reminds us where that came from. And probably for all of us, you know, we like to think of ourselves as sufficient and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. The fact of the matter is, even... You know, those of us who have been fortunate to have some level of success in various parts of our lives or whatever, if you think you did it on your own, I you, you are telling <laughs> yourself a big fat lie. Right. Right. It's just that is just the truth of the matter. You know, um, there was this book I read by this guy I disagree with on most everything, <laughs> <laughs> which I think, by the way, is, is, it's healthy to do that every so often because it really, you know, it. it sure. You know, smacks you around a little bit. But he, he had this point. He said, he said, we have this notion, particularly in this country, of you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Mm-hmm. Right? And he, and he points out, he says, look, it, hard work, dedication, stick-to-itiveness, and the, not diminishing those things whatsoever. Right. But to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, First, you gotta have boots. <laughs> Somebody probably gave you boots, right? <laughs> Especially early in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think of that in the context of, you know, I was, you know, I had trustworthy, consistent parents. I was, you know, given an opportunity for public education. I was you know, raised in an environment that was relatively stable and, you know, consistent. And there were a lot of things that, that I was afforded that were gifts, Mm -hmm. plain and simple gift given Mm -hmm. to me. I did nothing to deserve it. I did nothing to, to, to earn it. It was just here. Yes, you can art at some point when you're given that stuff, you're either going to do something with it or not. Right. But the fa- it does not diminish the fact that I was able to, in some cases, leverage something and create something or do something, whatever, nevertheless, does not diminish at all the fact that it still was a gift in the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think there is a there is a healthy realization of that, which again goes back to this notion of of gratitude. Yeah. And and to your point, you know, studying what we should, and in some cases that means counting your blessing. Yeah. Yeah. What you just said um, about thinking that you do it all on your own, and then if you were to pause and think, "Ooh, how how much help did I really get?" It's overwhelming. And the specific example I have is I was listening to a a podcast. It was secular, was not talking about religion, but it was talking about living a thankful life. And it was some uh, woman who she decided she was going to be thankful for, take one thing and be thankful for everything that made it possible. (laughs) And she didn't know what she was getting into because she said, well, what's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning? I drink a cup of coffee. So I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to write a letter of thanks to everybody who made that possible. And then she said that the paper started to get filled up because somebody had to make the beans. Somebody had to pluck them. They had to ship them. They had to roast them. They had to package them. But then she also had a coffee filter and, and who made the coffee pot. And what about the company? That, and like and it, She actually wrote them all a letter. She said it took her almost a year to oh contact my. every person. And then she, she said, I started contacting the people who paved the road because, you know, they had to get the bean. Like, it was just silly. And, and, and she did it on purpose because the idea was once you start down that journey of thankfulness, it's amazing how much you realize how many people have helped you. So there's a secular example of just how far you could take this. Um, you, we, We've discussed REST from Philippians 4. And just to review them ever so quickly, as people have been listening to this conversation, um, we have respond to Jesus, come to him. That's where where rest needs to begin. Express your needs, and you're going to specifically ask for what you need. We've just finished up talking about uh, study what we should, and that is that we're going to learn to be content. So here we are at the last point, and that's the T in rest, and that is to think differently learning to mend the mind. And you begin in Philippians talking about the word mind. And uh, tell us about what you learned from this study. That in this uh, this letter to the Philippians, Mm -hmm. uh, Paul uses mind or thought or some version of that, you know, 16 times. And uh, the Greek word for worry is divided mind. Hmm. Okay. And that, that, that we're anxious when there's this battle going on in our minds. And I thought of uh, in James 1, I believe, where he, he talks about the double-minded, mm-hmm. the, the notion of we're creating a war. Yeah. And... You know, war would be an anxious time. <laughs> and we're essentially creating this war, this storm in our heads, mm-hmm. in our minds, mm-hmm. which is resulting in worry. Um, is that where you get mend from because it's been divided? It's time to mend it, to, to bring it, it back, back together? together? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, the prodigal son had to change his mind mm-hmm. about the father. And about his intentions and about the love that he had demonstrated. He had, it, he had to like rewire the system. 
to say, I got to think about him differently. Yeah. Because I now have this moment of clarity where I realize yeah. I was off base. When he came to himself. Yes. It says. And so the notion here being, you know, study what we should. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Paul notes this uh, at the end of that section that we read earlier. Um, in Philippians 4. In Philippians 4. He says, basically, here's what you ought to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Here's how you mend your mind. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that is particularly difficult now. And I think if you look, especially if you think about the events of the past year, right, pandemic. Uh, political unrest, social unrest. Mm -hmm. Uh, You go through all of those things and uh, it is a loud and angry environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more of that we soak up, I'm convinced the more anxious we'll be. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone who has a sort of an honest view of this will look at it with an eye toward the people that, you know, have really worked themselves into a a really serious state of anxiety. Perhaps because of all of those external forces that I, you know, that I talked about. And I think this is, this again gets back to the crux of this notion of Paul saying, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have some resources that the rest of the world does not have. Mm-hmm. All the more reason, by the way, you should be introducing them to these resources. <laughs> <laughs> that, that this is a place of, of, of rest and peace yeah. that the world desperately needs. And, you know, there's not a time that I can remember in my lifetime where it hasn't has been more obvious. Maybe save for, you know, if I think because I was a kid then back in the 60s when there was lots of social unrest. And but I would also say that it wasn't fueled by social media. It wasn't fueled by an instantaneous delivery and a repeated drumbeat Mm -hmm. of worry and anxiety uh, that we see today where the deceiver has a much better. Megaphone. Right. Right. And you, you suggest in your, your study that um, this reality that comes about by social media, the ones who created a lot of those platforms won't let their children on it because they know what it's capable of. I thought that was a terrifying and interesting point that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you, you know, I, they, they, they probably have a greater appreciation for, for not only, you know, like what it can do and how it actually operates, but for this, this notion that uh, it is designed that the people who are users of it think of themselves as the customer when really they're the product. Right. And they are being sold 
because of their attention mm-hmm. to this product. That's not new, by the way. Okay, you, the whole notion of advertising is built on the fact that you have a captive or at least interested audience, and you're going to sprinkle this offering to them, and they're going to either they're going to take the bait and <laughs> and 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 go for it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more repetitive you can be, the the more consistent and constant, uh, the better refined you are in the messaging. So it speaks to a real or perceived need, mm-hmm. the more effective it'll be. And the more these companies know about us, the the better they are at doing mm-hmm. that. Right. And um, it gets back to, <laughs> do you want to be vulnerable to Facebook or do you want to be vulnerable to God? Uh-huh. Who do you want to place your most intimate affections? Sure. To sure, you know, um, and y- you know it's uh, uh, it, you could apply the same thing though, Jonathan. You could apply the same thing to news channels, right? You could apply the same thing to uh, you know talk radio, although it, people don't it, really. Whatever it do is, that as much anymore. Yeah, it's not as it's not as prevalent, but they all kind of operate off of this whole thing of find something that's going to get you agitated mm-hmm. and get you, you know, whatever. Uh, something that's going to trigger the release of those chemicals <laughs> that almost becomes habit forming where I need the fix of being angry today. Yeah. Because that's what that's what's going to propel me. And uh yeah, so it's kind of a kind of a scary thing and and I I noted before that I I feel so old and like it's like I'm like the old guy stay off my lawn. Um yeah of you know, clearly there are valuable uses to Facebook. Right. Right. Where you can connect with people and so on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember after talking to some people about this, you know, they're like, I think I'm going to cancel my Facebook. It's like, that wasn't the point. That says that wasn't what I was trying to get you to do. Right. I, so early uh, in our marriage, Sherry and I were living in, in Iowa and there was this guy in the church there that, uh, that I thought so much of. He's a wonderful guy. And uh, he was a, like every congregation has like this one who's like the spark plug. For yes. the whole, you know, and he was it. And just, I thought so much of him. And he was especially impactful because we were so young at that time, you mm-hmm. know. He was so welcoming. And, but he he had the, he, he had this one harangue that he would go to. His, his go-to was he hated television. And he was convinced that everybody would get rid of their televisions and, you know, that was the source of all evil and yeah. whatever. I mean, clearly there's some truth in what he was saying that there was, it, it, that there was a lot of bad stuff that was, sort of entering our world. But he made it such a, a thing as, a, as opposed to saying, be discerning about what is happening in your heart and, and be honest with yourself. And so that's my point about this stuff. And, and I'll, I, my confession is this. So I can look at Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, and I can start reading some comments. I can, you know, <laughs> and the next thing you know, I am angry. 
Yeah. I can feel it building up. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, it's, uh, it's unhealthy mm-hmm. because it's like, I read this stuff and I'm like, I'm like yeah, stupid. <laughs> and it's like, how can anybody be this dumb? And, <laughs> you know, and, and it just starts. Yeah. And then the more you read, the more it builds, and, you know, yeah. that's what they want. That's yeah. Now I'm, and and there's a point at which you it's like a bomb that's going to go right. off in your hand. You got to put the thing down and get away from it. <laughs> and and I think it's that discernment to know when you're at that place. And it's like I am off the rails here. And you can you can see it oftentimes when there are people who are in every way professed followers of Jesus. Right. Who have allowed themselves to get into these quarrels and, and public spats and name calling and political nonsense and just junk where they have clearly, their affections have gotten clearly carried away from not just God, but reality. Mm-hmm. And that's not the picture of a restful soul right. that I think God wants us to paint for the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe in those instances, what we have said when we engage in that is, I'm just like you. Yeah. My internal temperature is gauged by the same base things that yours are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got nothing to bring to the table here. Right. So how do we mend that? Uh, if, if we're to think different, to mend our mind, I guess if we're going to try to put a bow on all of this, yeah. we've just expressed uh, how easy it is to think like the world how do we change that thinking? Let me go back to that example that I gave of me being on Twitter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I've, I got myself twisted into a pretzel, right? And I'm like <laughs> annoyed and, you know, whatever. And if, and if I have a sane moment then, and I'm really analyzing uh, what's happening, and I think about what I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. It's destructive. It's, you know, vengeful, hateful, whatever it is. Here's what it's not. It's not true. It's not noble. Uh-huh. It's not just. Mm-hmm. It's not pure. It's not lovely. Mm-hmm. It's not a good report. There's no virtue. There's nothing praiseworthy. Okay, that's a complete fail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, check. Check. No, no, no. Uh-uh. Nope. None of those. It's not restful. Right. It's not four eight. It's anxious. Yeah. And I think it's the the antithesis of what Paul is saying we should be we should be doing. It's not grateful. It's self aggrandizing. Mm-hmm. Hey, my opinion's better than yours. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, idolatry. Yeah. Either we are we are making the government, uh, you know, 
something else that's temporary myself we're making we're putting something else in the idol chair right. as opposed to god right right and we're off we're out of whack mm-hmm. and at that moment you know we should be really challenging ourselves to say it's no wonder i'm anxious mm-hmm. yeah well if if you were to have an opportunity to make one final comment uh, that summarizes this message, that kind of wraps it up so that our listeners can step away from this with uh, the big picture in mind. What would you say? Um, so I'll give you two quick. Okay. One is that only Jesus can truly calm a spirit. Mm-hmm. That... Everything else is a fail, mm. ultimately. Right. Even if it seems to be effective in the moment. Uh, and the other one uh, would probably be that the people of the world need the witness of people who have a restful soul. Mm-hmm. And maybe at this moment, it might be the most effective evangelical, evangelistic uh, work we can do. Yeah, amen. To be to be calm uh, in a sea of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, thank you, brother, very much for coming in and talking to me about this, and I think it's going to be very well received. I hope that others are encouraged by it, and. I really hope that they'll read Philippians 4 and take comfort in the Word because that should be the, beyond you and me, that should be the place that people are finding rest for all parts, all parts of life. Thank you. Thank you. This is a great conversation, and I hope it's not the end for those who may be struggling with spiritual anxiety. You know, we admonished in the first episode and, and throughout this mini-series that we are talking about those who are having spiritual struggles, and we, we don't want to spiritualize a medical condition. So mental health is very important. If you find yourself struggling with anxiety or depression, uh, God, as Roger pointed out early on, God gives us these mental health professionals as one of his graces, people that have studied the chemical imbalances, people who have studied the mental health issues, the disorders, etc., and if you need any help, we really want to encourage you to reach out, and um, maybe we can help put you in the right direction. So with that in mind, this miniseries comes to a close, and we look forward to uh, spending time together the next time that we meet. So until then, you can go to the website and check out all the stuff that's there, pureandsimplebible.com. And always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Be willing. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.